So thank you for coming. This will be the last installment of the series we've been doing on the government. And we have spoken about it uh, being God's idea and therefore a good idea, yet uh, many in positions of governmental authority have clearly revealed their flaws, their uh, sinfulness, and in some cases, uh, their blatant evil. Nonetheless, a government is God's idea, and the scriptures tell us one day human government, as we now know it, uh, will come to an end. I do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I, we will not be disappointed. You are absolutely correct. And when human government, as we know it, comes to an end, King Jesus will reign forever. And this being the case, uh, we're going to, it's worth applauding, especially in this particular day and age. Uh, therefore, I, I want to invite you to spend some time with me, and I think this will be an encouraging message. It has to do with this, what will government under God really, really look like? We're not there yet, but we will be. And so this is what we'll talk about. At some time in the future, uh, the scripture, and we'll look at it, assures us we are going to be under God's preferred mode of government. Now, it may surprise you to know God does have a political preference. I don't mean political party, but when it comes to the form of government, God does have a preference. Now, you might think it's democracy because we love it. And as far as <clears throat> human approaches to governance, you and I would say uh, democracy is the best way to go. We favor it over dictatorship and all that sort of thing. And you would be right if you came to that conclusion. But democracy is not God's preferred form of government. God's preferred form of government is something called a theocracy. And it means God rule. That's what it means. It's a form of government, theocracy. It's a form of government in which God's rule is administered by a representative of God's choice. Now, when God created the world, he had such a representative. Do you happen to know what his name was? It was Adam. When God created the world, he distinguished Adam to be his representative on earth. Adam. So I ask you this. How did Adam do? Not too good. In fact, Adam uh, revolted against God in essence, making himself an ally of Satan and uh, the consequences of Adam's disobedience are plaguing us down to this very day. Uh, Adam was successfully tempted by Satan to revolt against God, and the consequences are with us here on earth even today. In falling away from God's uh, grace, the results were tragic, a and uh, not the least of which was this— 
God's theocracy, his rule, not through a democracy or any other form of government, his theocracy came to an end. When Adam broke fellowship with the king, with Almighty God, he forfeited his role as God's representative, thus bringing to an end at that point God's preferred form of government, theocracy. And Satan, did you know this, took control of the world system. I used to be quite troubled with this, but I think it's true. I know we sing, this is my father's world. I understand it. He's sovereign and involved, but technically it's not. Uh, Frankly, the world is governed today by Satan, the evil one. His rule has continued to dominate the world system. Therefore, you and I ought not be surprised by all the upheaval, uh, injustice, and unrighteousness which is plaguing us today. Uh, Satan is really dominating the world even now. In fact, listen to what the Lord Jesus himself said. This is in John uh, chapter 12, verse 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world is one variously labeled in Scripture as Satan or the adversary or the uh, accuser of the brethren or the devil. And so Satan is already a defeated foe and knows it, but he's still very much in the world intent on carrying out his evil purposes. In fact, I think he's turning up the heat because I believe he knows his time is short. Just like a wounded animal is the most dangerous uh, predator, so to Satan, who knows of his sure fate, is really turning up the burner. And uh, even though uh, he's in control of the world situation, uh, you and I ought to be encouraged by what his destiny is. It's given to us uh, quite clearly in, I jumped the gun here, in um, Revelation chapter 20. Listen, uh, the apostle John is speaking of what he saw. He saw the revelation. It wasn't given to him verbally. He saw what we have contained in the book of Revelation. So it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain was in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old. Who do you think that is? Yeah, it's Satan. We don't have to guess because the text says, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for without looking on. Do you know for how long the angel uh, bound Satan? 1,000 years, absolutely. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. That is his ultimate fate. It's already been pronounced upon him, but it has not yet been uh, realized because God's plan doesn't call for it just yet. Now, before we have government 
under God, a true theocracy, once again, something has to happen. Satan has to be eliminated, and his rule over the world system has to be extinguished. God must reestablish his theocracy on earth. He must provide for us a far better representative than Adam was. He did. Do you happen to know what the Bible says, the second Adam? Do you know what his name is? That's the Lord Jesus, and he's the perfect representative of God the Father to administrate the theocratic government yet to come. And a scripture in anticipation tells us about this grand representative of Almighty God on earth. And here's the text I want us to look at. I gave you a little test last week to see if you could identify the passage of Scripture that describes the grand representative of Almighty God. And some of you actually emailed me, and you got it right. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We'll look at it here. It's not Christmas, and yet we can still read this verse and find it to be applicable. So it says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government, a theocracy, the government will rest on his shoulders. Hard to imagine that a child could be strong enough to take on the burden of government on himself. Right now, the burden of government is on you and I. Folks, we're weighted down by what we see. It's almost unbearable to watch the news. Did you watch the uh, grotesque interrogation of this proposed uh, next Supreme Court uh, member? To my mind, an unbelievably godly brilliant, stable, normal, wholesome woman. And she's getting roasted. So, so, so the burden of government is upon us. Tonight there are dueling town hall meetings. You know that? The second debate is canceled. And, and so both candidates for the presidency are holding they're juxtaposing their own town hall meetings in which questions are going to be put to them uh, apart from one another. Uh, the whole matter is distressing to us. It's quite burdensome to read of government policies and government conflict and government impure motivation and all the rest. This is a burden. But there will be a day... I. I I want to pause here so you and I can bask in it. Uh, there will be a day when government under God will be characterized by this unusual child growing to be strong enough to bear the weight of government on his own shoulders. Now, at present, the kingdom of King Jesus is in invisible form. What I mean is... It's very much a reality, but the kingdom of God exists in the hearts of those who have submitted to him as king, such folks like you and I. The kingdom of God now is not a visible geopolitical entity. 
The kingdom of God takes place when Jesus is enthroned on the hearts of those who submit to him as Savior and Lord. But there will be a day in Isaiah 9, at least 700 years, even before the birth of the babe, Jesus, Isaiah, by anticipation, is telling us there will be a day when the kingdom of God will be earthly, literal, noticeable, geopolitical, and during that time, we're not there yet, during that time, something to look forward to. Folks, the best is yet to come. During that time, the government will rest, not on your shoulders or mine, the government will rest on his shoulders. You're okay with that, aren't you? You're okay with saying, Lord Jesus, please take control. And he will do it. The best is yet to come. And so Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, his name will be called. Now, before we get there, I want to tell you that throughout human history, governmental leaders have taken upon themselves various names and labels. Some of them really display the arrogance and undeservedness of the titles some of these carnal, fleshly world leaders have taken. Let me illustrate. In the 1800s lived a man named, please forgive my uh, Spanish pronunciation, it's not too good. His name was Jose Gaspar Rodriguez de Francia. And he became the president of Paraguay. And he took on the title, it wasn't given to him, he took it on because he was quite arrogant, as are most world leaders. He took on the title, Supreme and Perpetual Dictator of Paraguay. Humility did not get in the way. Supreme and Perpetual Dictator of Paraguay. Adolf Hitler, have you heard of him? He's not real popular to me. He's not a favorite. He took on the title, you know this, Führer, meaning leader or guide. Joseph Stalin, a murderous, uh, narcissistic, evil governmental leader, took on the title, many titles. Listen, these were not assigned to him. He just decided he had the authority to call him, to require he would be called by his constituents by these titles. Great leader, man of steel, brilliant genius of humanity. Get this, gardener of human happiness. Crazy. Idi Amin, remember him? The uh, evil dictator in Uganda years ago, president of Uganda. He took on these titles, His Excellency. President for life, Lord of all, get this, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas. Yeah. Many governmental leaders have bestowed titles upon themselves, which often, ironically, don't even survive uh, the end of their own administrations. I am this eternally, I am that for life, and before their administration ends, oftentimes they are by coup or in other ways replaced. The titles, however, 
prophesied by Isaiah, which we are about to look at, with reference to the Lord Jesus, are his deservedly and irreversibly and eternally. He is named, for instance, Wonderful Counselor. So unlike the politicians of this day, the Lord Jesus in that day will not need polls or surveys or any other source of information in order to inform his decisions. He will have no need to seek anybody else's counsel because he himself is the wonderful counselor. Truth of an absolute kind resides in him. It is inherent to him. He doesn't have to find out what do you think about this or that and then formulate a platform that'll keep him in office. He knows things only God is privy to. He's the wonderful counselor. In fact, Isaiah, in calling him wonderful counselor, is really literally uh, saying he is a wonder of a counselor. He will, when he governs here on earth, he will be able to answer every question. He will have the solution to every problem. I watch the political debates. It's fascinating to me, captivating, uh, to see that neither candidate really has good answers. In fact, they're adept not at having answers, but in uh, uh, evading the question. It's fascinating to me. You won't find that under the Lord Jesus administration. He's a wonder of a counselor. He has answers and solutions to every problem. But being wonderful counselor is not good enough. Think about it. If that's all he is, then his good intentions and ideas would not necessarily be implemented because he wouldn't have the power to do so. Ah, but he's far more than just a wonder of a counselor. Isaiah says he is mighty God. And so as such, he is fully able to carry out his good and wise plans. He has not only wisdom and good intentions and solutions to every human problem and malady, he also has the might with which to carry them out. Nobody has that combination of attributes. He created the universe even through his spoken word. And therefore, since he is the only one who brought order out of chaos, his government will be characterized by freedom from chaos. We don't see that in any world government today. In fact, just recently, there was another so-called day of rage in Portland. They took down the statue of Abraham Lincoln. Is he a threat to anyone's human rights and dignity? Abraham Lincoln? Chaos, you see. But that will not have a place under the administration of the Lord Jesus. I'm emphasizing this because you and I must hang in there. We must endure. We must not cave in, go underground, or uh, suffer from what some people call existential depression. What is existential depression? It's depression over existence. 
We must not do that. Folks, we're passing through. All of this stuff is temporary. And the good God has told us where ultimately it is leading us to. It will lead us to the time when political life, though so chaotic and complicated now, will give way because God's representative on earth is eternal father. If he's eternal father, it means he alone comprehends the complexities of time and eternity. No human governmental leader, finite though they be, can understand the complexities of eternity. But if this one, the Lord Jesus, is eternal father, he can. Now, this is interesting. We seem to be talking about the Lord Jesus, who, of course, we know to be the Son of God. Therefore, how can the Son be the Father? Let me venture an answer. This phrase, eternal Father, is a reference to the fact that the Son's governance will be characterized by a fatherly care and concern. That's what is yet to come. We haven't seen it. Now, many kings, princes, and presidents on earth have laid claim to that very title, Father. Joseph Stalin, once again, took the title of Father of Nations. So did a man called Nasingbe Ayadama of Togo, Mobutu Sesi Seko of Zaire, Ahmad Shah Durrani of Afghanistan, Jose de San Martin of Argentina, and so on. They all took on the title Father of Nations, a title easily claimed and yet not deserved, except by the one who in truth is Eternal Father. This title, Father of Nations, have, has often been taken but often challenged. So, for instance, in 1972... The Constitution of Bangladesh declared a Sheikh Mujibur Rahman to be the father of the nation. However, that title was removed from him by the new government in 2004. But this title, Eternal Father, as a given in description of the Lord Jesus, will never be taken away. It is just that. It is eternal. Don't you see? that government under God will have a stability, an eternal quality, which will suddenly put us at rest. We will not be wondering. We will not be running to the news every day to see what cataclysm has now befallen us. And that will be the case because Jesus will rule as an eternal father with the kind of care and concern for his children that you would expect a good father to manifest. It cannot be taken away by any new government because there will not be a government that overthrows him. It will be his eternal fatherhood and eternity. Eternal means forever. So folks, if Jesus is the eternal father, then this is true. If you want anything of eternal value, you have to get it from Jesus. Uh, think about it. Everything else you may have apart from him is going to perish. Doesn't mean those are bad things, but they're not going to last for eternity. 
If you want anything of eternal value, you have to go to the one who existed in eternity past and will exist in eternity future, the eternal Father, Almighty God. You have to run to him. So in addition to what has already been said of him by Isaiah, don't miss this title. He is also Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, we say he is Sar Shalom. You've heard the word Shalom. Sar means prince. Jesus is the uh, Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Now listen, this being the case, his government, think about it, will be characterized by no conflict. Folks, we can't even get our government uh, to pass a, uh, what do they call it, a financial aid? What do you call it? Oh, you're speaking in tongues? <laughs> stimulus, stimulus thing. We can't, we can't get them to agree upon it before the uh, election. Uh, so... so uh, <laughs> uh, the government is not too efficient. It can't get anything done. There's conflict in it. But in government under God, we haven't seen it just yet, uh, it will be characterized by peace in the absence of conflict as never before. We've never really seen peace on earth in the sense in which we think of it. In fact, history is characterized by wars and rumors of war throughout human history. But uh, Jesus, he and he alone, will usher in a government characterized by peace, and he alone will be able to maintain it. Why? He's the administrator of peace. He's the prince of peace. In fact, Isaiah says in this next verse, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. His government and his peace, according to this text, will keep expanding and improving. Now, this is interesting if you think about it. How can anything perfect improve? If it's government under the grand administrator, the Lord Jesus, reflecting his perfections, how can any government that has the quality of perfection, how could it get better? The answer is, I have no idea. This is the wonderful mysteries of Messiah's government. Though it has the characteristic of being perfect, yet it is consistently growing and getting better all the time. And for how long will it continue to get better? Eternity. Not every four years, another crazy election season. No way. And so there will be no end, Isaiah says. There will be no end to the reign of Messiah. He will rule for all eternity. He will be the final ruler, the final king, whose reign will result in peace forever. Now, most governments increase their borders through war, not through peace. But his government will increase through peace. We've never seen that. Never in human history. This is what folks like you and I have to look forward to. Look, I think you and I know things are going to get worse before they get better. So all we got to do is hang in there, not hanging on for dear life. We're being held by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to get us 
through. Today, I sat with someone in my office. Oh, I should have brought this. And I uh, showed this lady a, 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 a kind of a, a flat rock I have. And on it are two Hebrew words, eben etzer, eben etzer. You may not have heard of that, but the English rendering you have, it's Ebenezer, Ebenezer. And it uh, beckons back to a time in the Old Testament when Samuel uh, set up a rock as a monument to the faithfulness of God. He called it Ebenezer, uh, the rock or stone of help. Uh, because he said, up until this point, the Lord has been my Ebenezer, my stone of help. And so I have this flat rock on which are written these Hebrew words. I keep it because I can say as of, this is the 14th, is it not? As of October 14th, 2020, I can tell you, Eben Etzer. I can tell you through thick and thin and all manner of things, perhaps I wondered if I ever, would ever get through. I have. Not because of strength and willpower. No, 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 no. But because of Ebenezer, Ebenezer. And, and so even though these are increasingly trying days, and I believe it'll, it'll get worse, uh, don't worry about it. Each day you and I will be able to move that Ebenezer stone one day forward and say, I don't know if I'll have tomorrow, but if I do, I'll be able to say, as of October 15th, Ebenezer, the Lord has been my help. So in knowing what the future holds for us, it is to sustain us and enable us to get through this very difficult present. So Isaiah tells us there will be no end to the reign of Messiah. He will be the final king. Uh, whose reign will result in peace forever. Now, I want to call your attention to just a few other things prophesied by this same Isaiah to give us a bit more information about what government under God will look like. So let me call your attention to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. There will be no Supreme Court, no World Court, no United Nations, no nothing. He will judge between nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer, this is a metaphor, it's beautiful, they'll hammer their swords, it's an instrument of war, they'll hammer their swords into plowshares, that's an agricultural utensil, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Uh, please enjoy that. That's what the future holds for us. Look, I know who I'm voting for. <laughs> In fact, I'm going Friday for early voting. Have you voted yet? Yeah, good for you. I'm going Friday, and... Uh, and I know who I'm voting for, and I know who want to win the election, all the rest. But if it doesn't happen that way, uh, I'm not burning down any buildings. I'm not going to revolt. <laughs> and I'm not going to give in to existential depression. I'm going to say, oh, God, you can work through anybody. Uh, history has told us that. So I'm not going to worry uh, about it at all. I'm going to enjoy the fact, regardless of the outcome, uh, in, is it 20 days now or 19? I don't know, I lose track. Regardless of the outcome, 
uh, we've been given a glimpse of the future, it is really unlike the present. And we ought to bask in it and enjoy it. The future is much better. Uh, This is what government under God will then look like. The Lord will judge. The Lord will render decisions. He will resolve conflicts between people and nations. There will be no more war. Therefore, there will no longer be a need for weapons of war. There is a need now, but there won't be then. So do you know what this is like? Please allow me to answer for you. No, you do not, nor do I. Uh, The world, our world has never been free of war. We don't know what it's like to be free of war, but that will be the case in that day to such an extent that weapons of war will be made into garden tools. So the text says they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Resources, phenomenal financial and material resources and expense now goes into military armament. I'm in favor of it because the world is a dangerous place and our enemies only respond to strength. So I'm in favor of a strong military served in it and I would do it again. I'm proud of it and I would do it again. But it isn't glamorous. It isn't glorious. It's a tremendous burden on our lives A number of you have lost loved ones in various military conflicts and all the rest. It's a terrible blight, a terrible pain, and it saps uh, societies of their financial resources. But there will be a day when all of this will be unnecessary, and instead, people will be fed, not destroyed. That's what's behind this agricultural metaphor. You won't need swords and spears ancient weaponry. You won't need modern weaponry. They'll all be turned into that which contributes to the betterment of a society under God. And just one more glimpse into what government under God will look like, again by Isaiah chapter 11 verse 8. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. Just reading it gets you nervous. If you saw it, you would intervene so as to rescue the child who looks like prey in the presence of a vicious predator. And yet this says government under God will reorganize the ecosystem. So the whole balance of things in the world God created has been thrown off by sin in Genesis 3. The curse on the environment has nothing to do with cars that use a lot of gas or light bulbs that are not uh, energy efficient. Environmental pollution is due to the fact that you and I have corrupted the environment through our sin. Uh, The change that has to take place is not out there. It's in here. Government under God will bring about those internal changes which will affect the external environment so that the whole ecosystem, which is now in disarray, will take an entirely new form uh, 
illustrated by this. The prey of predators will no longer have to fear them. A child won't have to fear a poisonous cobra. The world will be restored in government under God to its unfallen condition. And predators will then have a respect for human beings such that even a little child will command the respect of vicious snakes. At present, the instinct for self-preservation is very strong in every creature. So when an animal or a person feels threatened, they may strike. But then, in government under God, then, in Messiah's government, there will be peace and trust and harmony. Can you imagine a day when the whole most helpless member of our society, uh, the most helpless and innocent child, will be at ease in the presence of those creatures who had been the most violent. Folks, be hopeful. All we have to do is persevere. All we got to do is follow the Lord Jesus. All we got to do is wait for the inauguration of his kingdom on earth. It will happen during a time we refer to as the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial, it means 1,000 years. We've not seen it yet. During that time, the ecosystem will be brought into correct balance so you will not see prey and predator in the natural order. Now, we opened with a familiar passage from Isaiah. Again, we usually reflect on this during Christmas time. Let me complete Isaiah's thought again in chapter 9, verse 7. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David, so the Messiah must be a direct descendant of King David. That's what it says. Uh, uh, there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with what? Now, these are the three characteristics of government under God. Justice and righteousness. It said peace before that from then on and forevermore. Government under God, which we haven't seen just yet, will be characterized by peace and justice and righteousness and his government will have no end. Handel, the composer, had it right, didn't he? When in the hallelujah chorus, he penned these words, and he shall reign forever and ever. Should I sing it? No, don't do that to yourself. No, please save yourself. I'll just recite the words. He shall reign forever and ever. And the characteristics of his reign is in eternal quality, and it will be marked by peace. We haven't seen it. Justice, we haven't seen it. Righteousness, we haven't seen it. We will when there's government under God. But how will the child, the babe, the son, become this powerful eternal king? Here's what Isaiah says. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You and I will not usher it in. We don't have the capacity to do so. It will not be subject to a vote or a consensus of opinion. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts. That means Lord of armies. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Are you anxious for government? 
characterized by peace and justice and righteousness. Let me just tell you, so too is Almighty God. It's his idea. He is zealous about it. He is determined to establish a government characterized by this. This is what government under God will look like. He's not indifferent to it, unconcerned and unaffected. No, not at all. In fact, it is his very zeal which will accomplish all this. So as we close, how should you and I now live in light of this marvelous glimpse into what future government under God will look like? If I can just simplify it, I think we must not allow the distressing circumstances of our now extinguish the hopeful expectation of our then. That's why God has told us in advance what things will look like. Just hang in there. You do not have to plead with God. It's his zeal, not yours, which will accomplish this. Now, let me close with this. Um, I was uh, in England a long time ago. I was stationed in the military in England. Pretty good assignment. And uh, I met a British couple, and they asked me, we became friends, if I would house sit for them on one occasion they were going to take a vacation. I said, oh, yeah, this is great. I get to get off the base and be out in the real world in this British community. And they had a dog, and they told me, you know, one of my responsibilities would be to care for the dog, which is really great because I prefer dogs to people. So this was really a good deal. So I decided I'm going to take the little doggy on a walk one day into a nearby British village. I thought that would be kind of cool. So I get the dog's leash, and you know how dogs are, just going crazy, jumping up and down. I could hardly get the, the um, connection to the dog's collar because you know how they're out of control, just so excited and all the rest. As soon as I opened the door, and the dog almost didn't let me open the door. It just charged into it and hit its head and all that kind of stuff. But I finally opened the door, and the dog is pulling me. It doesn't get hot a lot in Britain, but it was on this occasion. It was in the summer, and uh, I, I was just fascinated. The dog was exhausting itself, sweating. I thought it was going to have a heart attack. Could dogs have heart attacks? Well, if so, I thought this dog was a candidate for it, and it was just pulling me, and I thought, this is so ridiculous. The dog is pulling me to the very place I intend to bring it to. I'm bringing it to this nice little village. I was going to get some ice cream, let the dog have a little sample of it. And I had good things in mind for the dog. And then I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm about as stupid as that dog. My father has laid out in advance the good things he has in mind for me. He's told me in Scripture about these things in advance. He's told me this is what your future holds. This is what I intend to bring you to. I'm going to lead you there. Why are you pulling at me as if it's your passion and power and zeal that will get us to the destination. It's my zeal that would accomplish it. Stop pulling me. Instead, why don't you just follow me? That's what we must do today. Be devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to lead us right into his kingdom on earth and on into eternity forevermore. And for this, Lord Jesus, we are grateful we can handle the stuff of our now because you've given us a glimpse of our then. 
None of the things that burden us now will then because your second coming is the ultimate solution to every problem we have. And in response, we say to you, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.